This is the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech fan number 26 with Tim Robertson and Kevin J. It's tech fan number 26. I'm Tim Robertson once again with Kevin Shea. Kevin, you joined us on show number 19, so welcome back. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, I usually do the show with uh, David Cohen. Last week, David Cohen did a solo show, and <laughs> I kind of made a, a mistake. He sent me that raw audio file. What I didn't do is look at the notes that he had provided in this email when he sent me this file. Who reads instructions? Who reads instructions? I figured it was a show ready to go, boom. So I just uploaded it and copied his notes, and it was a show. Well, the problem was it had no theme music. He had left breaks in there for ads. Uh-oh. And, yeah, it wasn't a polished show. Mm-hmm. So I want to apologize to the listeners who listened to the last uh, Tech Fan number 25 with David by himself. It wasn't supposed to be like that. It was my... I didn't edit the show. So... And I told I told David afterwards, you, you got to let me know, man. And he said, I did. And he kind of <laughs> highlighted the, his notes and his last email. And I was like, yeah, So it was definitely my fault. Don't blame David. Don't think, oh, David's just not professional when Tim's not there. Not the case at all. I just dropped a ball. Mm. So it happens. I mean, but... I'm not. I'm not going to get fired over it because I own it. So <laughs> it is it's what it good is. Good to be the king. That's well. I don't know about king, jester, maybe. So here's uh, what I thought we would talk about today, Kevin. You're in a position very similar to mine. Your father. You've mm-hmm. got two kids. I've got four, but my older kids are 16. But I also like you have younger kids. And um, although it is kind of funny, your youngest, my youngest is same age as your oldest mm-hmm. and then you've got one that's not quite a year coming up on a year coming up on a year it's kind of different than i and i mean it's i suppose it's the same way with every generation were you gonna cough no no thanks for bringing it up though oh, okay <laughs> now, now you're gonna start feeling the tickle in your throat with every generation there's something different about society than when you were brought up you know, that was true when we were born, when our parents were born. Sure. That's just the way it is. When my oldest daughter was born, who's 16, I figured she was going to have to use technology and computers in general, or in particular, much more often than I would. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> and so I did a lot of research right before she was born. I decided I'm going to get a Mac. I'd have used, I had used Macs before, but I didn't really own one. I owned just you know, whatever was there. Mm-hmm. So we bought a Mac, and... Um, I didn't want her to be frightened of technology. I wanted her to be very comfortable with a keyboard, with a mouse, with a monitor, what you do, what you don't do. I was very uncomfortable with it until I crashed AOL the second day I had it. And this is still the case on the Mac, but even more so back then, you had to go to the special menu and go down to shut down. Mm. And if you didn't, it literally gave you a warning the next time you booted up. You did not shut down, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so... I couldn't, I, it, my whole computer froze up. I didn't know what to do. So I called 1 800 SOS Apple. <laughs> and after 20 minutes of Wait being a second, on that's phone. That's too many numbers. Well, APPL or whatever it is. Oh, okay. And <laughs> the lady said, well, just reach around the back and turn it off. And I said, you can do that? And she said, yeah. And she goes, I said, well, it's going to give me that warning. And she goes, well, yeah, just click OK and you're fine. And that one conversation just completely made me not frightened of computers at all. I'm like, oh, I just turn it off if it screws up and I'll be fine. And uh, so that's how I kind of got over my fear. But I wanted her to grow up having no fear at all. It's just part of life. And for the most part, that's been the case. But those have been traditional desktops and laptops as an extension. Our youngest kids, your kids, my youngest kids are growing up in a totally different tech world. We've got social media 
We've got touchscreen app phones and iPads, and it's totally different. We can't even predict what it's going to be like when they're 16. Because, quite honestly, when my oldest daughter was born, I couldn't have predicted iPhones and iPads. Who could have? I can barely predict 16 months from now. (laughs) (laughs) It changes very rapidly. So I thought it would be a good idea. I know a lot of the listeners of TechFan are people in our situation. They have kids. Mm -hmm. And what do you do introducing your kids to tech? And what kind of precautions do you take? And not just the tech, but the social media aspect of it. I still talk to a lot of people, usually from an older generation than me, who don't like the idea of Facebook because what about privacy? Mm Mm-hmm. They don't like the new technology because it seems very confusing for them, and it changes so rapidly, especially when it comes to, like, the iPhone. Every year there's a new one. Should I wait to next year? Is this one good? Uh, Technophobes, if you will. So from our perspective as parents, how do we prepare our youngest kids for this tech world? Do you have, like, rules and regulations already for your 3-year-old? For the 3-year-old, not so much. He... He's still just running around trying to be a kid right now. He's yeah. he's seen my iPad, my iPhone. No interest. I mean, some. I mean, he can pick it up and unlock the phone or the iPad. He knows how that works. Um, he obviously watches TV like every other little kid. You know, you're. Uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to drop any names. No, I don't care. Uh, yeah. You know, Nickelodeon, Disney, and all that. Sure. <clears throat> but um, as far as actually using technology as a part of his life, I don't think that really sinks in with him yet. I think he's maybe a little little too early in development for that. But, yeah. I mean, in preparing for that, I think uh, I, I'm not worried about it at all myself. Now, is that, um, do you think because you're young enough to have come up with computers yourself? Or No, it's, it's like you said. You, you had that first experience when something happened. You're right. Uh, some incident that... It just click okay, right? And it was okay. Yeah, you moved on with your life. <laughs> they use that term too. It's okay. Yeah, okay, <laughs> it's, it's reassuring. The button is telling me yeah. everything is right with the world. That's right. I particularly like the status bar that says eh, about a minute. About a minute. About yeah. a minute. I love that. But uh, it's that it all comes from. You have to be comfortable before you can get your kids comfortable. I can't teach anybody to do anything if i don't know how to do it myself you know i can't make someone else comfortable with something if i'm not comfortable with it myself and i think i think it all starts with you as the parent if you are comfortable with the technology you understand that a lot of what is out there today is sure there's price tags on everything but i mean a phone you can go out and sign a two-year contract and some phones are free free, you know I mean, at what point do you say, oh, I have to hold on and take care of this phone because I can just go out and buy another one? Right. So it is it, uh, are you worried about damaging the software, the functionality of the phone? Are you worried about physically damaging the phone or the device or whatever it is? It, you just have to grow comfortable I, with what it can take. I've seen parents with kids kind of put an unnatural fear of technology that the value of the device itself means that they can't l- even look at it, mm-hmm. uh, let alone touch it and play with it. Right. The old, uh, this is why we can't have nice things. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, or that the parent themselves aren't comfortable or proficient with the technology, so they can't pass that knowledge on to the child. Well, that's just it. Uh, I mean, you make an investment in something, and if you don't fully understand it, what it's capable of, you don't know what your child could do if they start using the machine and they use it for some totally different purpose from what you're doing. That's learning. That's getting acquainted with technology and developing their own you know, technology, technological footprint in this world. My three-year-old is probably because I use technology so much around the house, you know, iPads, iPhones, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He is, everything's a touch screen to right. him. And then that's unfortunate for my 46-inch big screen Sony sitting there <laughs> because it has all these little finger smudges that go from you know halfway in the middle of the screen right. to the right to the edge because well, he's I, trying to flip the channel. I learned that lesson a long time ago. Mine are up on the wall. Yes, I saw. <laughs> <laughs> I even cut out the drywall and ran the cable into the wall. I've... That, that was smart. Yeah. Smarter than me. Um, I mean, kids are tactile. I mean, yes. this is one of the biggest things that the... 
the revolutionary ideal behind the phones and the iPads is that you want something, you reach out and you touch it. That's right. It's computing has never been that before. You have to have this concept of like in Zoolander, the files are in the computer. <laughs> <laughs> they're in a folder. No, they're in this folder. That folder's in that folder. And people get lost in dealing with a hierarchy right. of information. And that's you kind know, of going away. I mean, it is. It's, obviously, with the portable stuff like an iPhone or an iPad, it hasn't yet with the laptops and the desktops. But mm-hmm. do you see that going away? Simplifying a computer experience for the everyday user? Yeah, pure speculation, obviously. Obviously. I, I don't see the, the traditional OS as uh, being around forever. The traditional file system that... Right. You've got a home folder. Your home folder has a documents folder. Your documents folder has your documents. Really, if you think about how you use a computer, you're not interacting with that document. You're interacting with the application that alters the document. Right. The application is the thing that generates it. It accepts your input and creates a result. That's almost what the portable devices are nowadays, the iPhone and the iPads and the Motorola Zoom and... Mm -hmm. It's not about the hardware itself. Right. And I think that's where a, a lot of companies fall down in their marketing. They're trying to market, oh, it's faster than this product or it has more expansion. It's usability. It's usability and it's the app itself. It, you don't use the iPhone. You mm-hmm. use an app to make calls. Right. I mean, when you think about it, it was the first phone that took away the phone. Every other phone up to that point, even the Blackberries had a send and receive button. I mean, it was a phone and anything else was kind of an add-on. The iPhone was just the opposite. It was just one of the apps on the phone. Right. Making phone calls is a secondary thing to this. Right. I mean, if you take an iPad and a tab, Galaxy, uh, if you take uh, an iPhone and any other touchscreen, Evo or whatever, and if you knew nothing about carriers and technology yep. companies and OSs and things like that, and you just put them in front of somebody that didn't know that, you wouldn't say, wow, look at this iPhone and its structure that looks just like right. every you other phone. Right, you wouldn't care. Right. Yeah. It all comes down to when you start touching and using it, what's the best for you? Yeah. It's the user experience, and I think a lot of the people, a lot of the parents who try to shield their children away from the new technologies, doing them a disservice, personally. I mean, there's obviously constraints that you have to put on a child but as an example i jumped on the iphone immediately mm-hmm. and i paid 699 for my first generation <laughs> iphone Sucker. it is <laughs> definitely what that phone does now is a glorified ipod touch for my three-year-old right my three-year-old will sit on the couch playing games on the first generation iphone it can't make calls it doesn't have a sim card um and I've taken a lot of the apps off there, but there's some that I can't, like Safari. I wish I could, I can disable Wi-Fi so we can't get anywhere. But I still, I wish there was some things I could take off or restrict his ability to make the icons jiggle and then right. click the little X and make them disappear. That's my oh, I've always hated that. Like I just so so badly want to get rid of the Stocks app. Yeah. <laughs> what do you need it for? No. Yeah. There's there's a couple. But here's the thing. I think Apple really would do well to give us multi-user or the ability to lock down certain apps or features on the iPhone or the iPad. So you can hand it to a three-year-old without, A, he's not going to have access to the Internet. And obviously when I say that, we're talking about porn. We don't want them to get to porn sites. (laughs) Uh, B, we don't want them to delete our apps or delete our user data. Mm -hmm. And C, we want him to have access to only these apps. That, I don't know how much I agree with that because the devices are kind of being marketed as a personal device and a personal device is but an iPad one user. Uh, you know, you see a, a traditional family that has one iPad, it gets passed around. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it's one person carrying it around. Someone else can get a hold of play with it, sure, right. but... It's the same with your laptop or your desktop. If somebody wants to use your computer, they just sit down and as you. But you have you you have different users on that computer, right? But do you enable that every time for a laptop? Well, well, let's say you have one computer in your house. Uh You have an email account. You have your favorite bookmarks in Safari. uh, You have certain applications in your dock that you use all the time. 
your wife may be totally different. Right. She can simply go to switch user, sign into her account. It's her email now. She doesn't see yours. She doesn't see your bookmarks. She doesn't see the apps that you have in your doc. Right. It's the same computer, but it's a totally different experience for her. She's got a different background picture. You know, it's it seems like a whole different computer because it's not the box that matters. It's the software, just right. like on the phone. Why can't we do that, or do you think we should be able to do that with our portable, ultra-portable, I guess? Because a laptop is portable. Right. Ultra-portable. I like that. Yeah. You didn't did, just come up with no, that, No, I did didn't. You? That's oh. been out there for years. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah, that's, Kevin. That's, that's a Tim Robertson <laughs> that's, special that's right, right there. Um, I would like to be able to do that. I, or at least, I don't see a problem with it. I just don't see that in their plans. I, I don't either, unfortunately. There used to be this application... Um, called at ease on the Macintosh. I don't know if you remember that. It's I'm going to say 95. No. Was its high, heyday. Okay. You were how what were you doing in 95 and uh riding bicycles with my friends. <laughs> I was setting up big lands for the Math and Science Center in Battle Creek. I and, was coming up on my 8th grade graduation. <laughs> and they had all these Mac computers in this lab. And it was these flat desks, and they had a piece of solid glass on top, and the monitor was at an angle underneath the glass. And all you could, all the kid can touch was the keyboard and the mouse. They mm-hmm. wanted to keep the actual CPU and the monitor away from their fingers, I guess. Sure. And they had this application called At Ease, and At Ease was controlled by a network server, and it would give you basically a glorified dock, if you will, and it would fill up the whole screen, and these are the applications that you can access. Hmm. You didn't have access to email. You didn't have access to anything except for what was in the at-ease folder, and that was all controlled um, according to user, different levels of permission, but it was all done on the server side. I know you're thinking, wow, that was 95. That's pretty advanced, and it was really cool. Kids could actually hack it pretty easily. It wasn't very difficult. Right. If you could force quit the, the application, you're... You're at the finder, and the whole computer's yours. So it wasn't a perfect solution, but it worked. Mm -hmm. Something even that simple on an iPhone or an Android or fill-in-the-blank, whatever Mm -hmm. your personal ultra-portable device happens to be, I think would make a lot of sense, especially for people that have... Kids, kids like us. We're not going to buy our kid an iPod Touch. They're three years old. That's crazy. I'm, there's people that do that, but I yeah. call them insane. <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, but when you hand your your iPad or your iPhone to your kid, you want to make sure that they're using it the way you want them to be using it. You don't want to be peering over their shoulder. Right. You look over their shoulder, and he's deleting daddy's email. Oh, <laughs> you know, that's a bad thing. Right. Um, but there's no restrictions on that right now, and that's what I'm getting at. Not at a user level, at least. Right. I'm sure there's enterprise solutions oh, I'm out sure. there you can look into. But Absolutely. But on a user level, as a parent, right. you have to watch your kid playing on your iPhone because right. he's going to delete something. That's very true. Um, I'm not saying it's he's doing it on purpose. It's kids are kids. But he's probably doing it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing it on purpose, just not maliciously on That's purpose. That's right, not maliciously on purpose. He's like, oh, and that one's gone, and that one's gone. This is a fun game, Daddy. <laughs> Got to make all the blocks go away. That's right. So <laughs> and they, but, but they just keep coming. Uh, but even that, I mean, you have, I don't know, there's, there's some some functionality in what you're talking about, and then you can always just go restore your phone and get that stuff back onto yeah, but it. Th- that shouldn't be the solution. Oh, crap, he deleted something. Now I need right. to fix it. Right. You want something to freeze them out on the device. We have a lock screen, for instance, on the iPhone. So you slide the little thing, then you got to punch in your code. Mm-hmm. What if it was just simply you slide it, and it had a picture for you and another picture for this is your kids. It's got a, it's got a camera built in, so you can actually take their picture. Right. The icons are, you know, you can have up to four users on an iPhone. Sure. And the administrator, the person who bought the phone, you or me, sets certain privilege levels for those other users. I think that would be I Yeah, awesome. it's fine. I mean, it, it goes back to the previous part of this conversation where we're talking about what's the point of the machine you're using. Right. It's the usability of it. It's not the box. It's not the design. It's none of that. It's what does this do for me? And when you're talking about how you interact with a file in your file system, but you're just using an app to touch that item, right. it's 
all the same functionality is there. It's right. just a different way of seeing it. So why shouldn't there be user environments on an ultra mobile device? I think it should be. I think it will happen. Actually, yeah. I, I don't know if it's on their radar yet. Mm-hmm. Because let's be honest, this the ultra portable market: cell phones, tabs, tablets. I should say right. iPads is such a new field. Mm-hmm. I mean, the iPad's what four years old. It wasn't very long ago that I, I was literally in San Francisco watching Steve Jobs in person unveil this thing. And I was like, I've never seen this is amazing. Right. And I'm going to wait to buy one. <laughs> um, that, didn't, that didn't last. Um, but everybody that was sitting in that audience that day knew that something had happened. Something changed. Some, something big. We didn't know if Apple was going to stay on the top of this new ultra portable kingdom they have right. we didn't know that then they had such an early lead and they still haven't relinquished it um, but Android's making a good run of it right. so when we come back out of this break I want to talk about Android for a few minutes because some interesting developments lately that I'd like to get your take on coverage of the Mac universe? How about hard-hitting interviews with industry leaders with all the questions you want to ask? Or detailed product reviews for programs costing thousands of dollars? Then you should definitely find something other than the MyMac.com podcast. The MyMac.com podcast is the show for every Mac user. Fun, entertaining, with news, reviews, and interviews with people just like you who want more from a podcast than just talking heads. Find us on iTunes by doing a search for my Mac and get ready for a good time. I used to like talking heads. And we're back. Uh, Tim Robertson, Kevin Shea. We're recording this at Mac Specialist in Villa Park, Illinois. We also have a facility in Chicago, Illinois, mm-hmm. which... You know, if you're looking at becoming an Apple certified what? Anything. What, what? <laughs> I was kind of opening that up for you. Kevin's been running the training department. He was running it for a while, and uh, he's back to managing it temporarily. The training department is the one thing at Mac Specialist I had absolutely no experience in. And so Kevin's really showing me the ropes when it comes to training so I can help you do your job as sure. well. And... I think a lot of the listeners of Tech Fan obviously come from the MyMac family of podcasts. They're Mac users. Most of them probably don't live in our area. Right. But what does certification get? It has some pretty nice benefits, actually, especially if you are into Apple or rely on Apple for your livelihood. Um, you can become certified in just about any portion of software out there final cut studio logic aperture as well as of course mac os 10 and os 10 server uh there are different levels of certification associated with each software type um within each software type you can even get greater Break it out certifications even that it's a, if you have this one this one and this one you become this super certification right like uh, an apple certified system administrator is uh, when you take all five of the technical courses, uh, support professional, technical coordinator, and then you learn things about directory services, deployment, mobility, and security. And taking all of those courses and getting all of your certifications makes you a certified system administrator. And that's a very valuable position. That's a very valuable. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, uh, AdMac specialists, our engineers have to maintain certified system Every year. administrator. Every Yep. Or every time the OS updates. Right. Um, all of our uh, bench technicians or bench technicians, technicians yep. they have to main Apple certified Macintosh technician. Not to mention our trainers of themselves. I mean, oh, they course, have yeah. to be. Yeah, we have to be certified and then certified as trainers. Right. So for every cert you get, I have two. <laughs> right. I had to do what I you did. I have to prove that I can show you what to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, At one point, I had something like. 22 or 24 really? active certificate. Oh, I went cert happy. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to do when you're here, though. <laughs> You'll, yeah. Yeah. So if you guys are interested in taking classes, I'm sure there's an AATC facility in your area. It's Apple Authorized Training Center. Yep. 
Um, how would they find out what's in their area? A uh, great way to find a list of all of them is if you go to training.apple.com. You can not only find a list of all the courses that Apple distributes, that is Apple distributing, the AATCs just deliver it. Um, and then uh, besides seeing the courses, you can find out what locations are out there, locations near you, where they are in standings, gold level or not, if they offer the pro apps, if they offer the technical. You can even look up schedules because all the AATCs post their schedules on training.apple.com as well. So you don't have to live in that area to take that class because we oh, get people no. from all over. I mean, I, last I, week we had people from Dallas. A couple and, of months ago I had some people come up from uh, Rio de Janeiro for really? Final Cut server training, yeah. It's it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's wild. It was, it was great because they told me about what life like theirs. So when you're planning on moving? Uh, never. <laughs> never. I just bought my house. Yeah, I, I hear you. I bought mine 10 years ago, but trust me, it, it doesn't end. Right. Um, I, I wanted to kick that out there because I have got email from a few of the listeners about, I see you guys are training. What's that about? So mm-hmm. if you go to Max Specialist, we have a, uh, a link to training, and you can mm-hmm. see our schedule, how much the courses cost, what's sure. involved, uh, the courseware itself. Right. And uh, we, if you ever want to get certified in Apple, we'd... Ha- It'd be a perfect opportunity to come to Max Special. And I tell you what, and this is kind of spur of the moment, if you take a class at Max Specialist in our Chicago or Villa Park facility, because you heard it here on the Tech Fan Podcast, I will bring you on an episode of Tech Fan while you're here after class. We'll do an episode of Tech Fan, providing I'm not, you know, in California or something that week. In which case, I'll make Kevin do it, but he doesn't know how to record a podcast yet, so probably wouldn't be very good. But still, it'll be like your last episode. Yeah, it'll be like David's episode. Here you go, Tim. Thanks. <laughs> really, you, you record on a cassette. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> but it would be cool to have someone that come here for training and then that get them on Tech Fan and talk really to cool. them. And yeah. That'd be fun. Absolutely. One of my favorite things about MacWorld Expo. I know a lot of people expect. If you're going to cover Macworld Expo, you go there and you talk to the different vendors, and we do, and we get them on the MyMac show and the Tech Fan show and whatnot. But one of my favorite things, and I didn't do it as much this last year as I did the year before, but that's talk to the show goers themselves. Mm. I would stand outside, and when people were walking in or out, I would grab them and say, "Hey, you want to be on our podcast?" It's maybe five, ten minutes tops, and uh, I would record them standing right there. You'd get the street noises and the people walking by. I like the, that sound in the background uh, listening to it back it, sure. you got a flavor of the show and the huge diverse number of cultures represented at that event was just amazing because I look up and I just see some older white guy so I grab him and <laughs> well he's from Australia you, you couldn't tell by looking at him mm-hmm. the next guy comes out is Russian yeah. I mean you just never know Some, a lot of them are obviously from the Bay Area but I, you know, at least from my personal experience, they were from all over the world. So you realize how diverse the culture of Apple's products go. Mm-hmm. And I love talking to people that's not from right there, right here. And so if someone comes to Mac Specialist to take class, I think it would be a lot of fun. Find out why they felt like they needed to take the course, number sure. one. What they're going to do with the knowledge. Do you already have a job lined up? Is it an employer sending you here? Mm-hmm. Or are you hoping to land your dream Mac job by taking these courses, which would go a long way to you getting those jobs? <laughs> so I think it'd be fun. I think that would be great. Yeah. yeah. Just I, added I'd sit in on that. Yeah, why not? I mean, it's just a conversation. So it, you know, invite myself to your podcast from now on. Well, I said you and I. So <laughs> if, if someone does it, oh, you're going to be. I there. wasn't listening. I know. I lost him about 20 minutes ago. So, <laughs> so let's take another quick break, and we're going to talk about Google coming up. If you're a fan of Apple's iOS devices, such as the iPhone, iPod Touch, iPad, and even the Apple TV, please listen to my new podcast called the Pocket Size Podcast. It's available on MyMac.com and, well, even iTunes if you search really, really hard. Anyway, it stars myself, Scott, and my co-host, Peter. And don't forget about me, your loyal and faithful Macintosh computer. You were going to mention me, weren't you? Uh, sure. Pocket Size Podcast is a MyMac.com podcast. Find it at MyMac.com. Thank you for listening. 
We won't forget you, the little people. You do know that if I could record and edit this entire podcast on my iPhone, I would do it, right? Ouch. That hurts. I'm going into sleep mode now. Final segment, Tim Robertson, Kevin Shea, uh, recording here at Max Specialist, Villa Park, Illinois. You know, Google, I thought, did a really cool thing when they made the Android operating system mm-hmm. open. Now, Adobe liked to try to claim that Flash was open. It was an open standard, is what Flash... Well, what Adobe kind of said about Flash, and everybody kind of went, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much the definition of a proprietary piece of software. I mean, it's right. you own Flash. It's, it's not open. Right. Google really did seem to make Android open. Hey, download it, put it on any device you want, boom, go wild. Right. Recently, they came out and said, if you're going to do anything and you want early access, if you're going to change the user experience or anything about Android and you want access to the early build of the next version, which everybody does, when your product comes out, you want the latest, greatest version of Android on there. Right. You have to basically run it by Andy Rubin, the head guy on Android at Google. And they have to see your plans. And they have to approve it. Mm-hmm. How is that open on any level? <laughs> Doesn't that seem like they're... And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I mean, if I was all into the openness, I wouldn't be using an iPhone. I would be right. using an Android, probably a 2.1 device, truly open. I want the company who makes the products to have some control on it, so I know there's just not a lot of crap on my phone. It's a phone. I want to be able to make a phone call. I don't need a bunch of just junkware all over it. There's a lot of implications to that, what what they're doing. I mean, Google is a software company. No, they're not. Google is an advertising company. (laughs) They are. That's exactly what they do. Search is driven by advertising. Mm Mm-hmm. Everything Google does is driven by AdWords, and that's how they make their money. They make okay. Google makes their money off of advertising. So let's rephrase this then. The majority of what Google has done in the past, how Google became Google, was all right. based in experience. That it wasn't Google putting out their own hardware. Okay, or I should say they are a non-hardware company. Right. Of course, there's the Google Phone. Nexus. Right. Um, and then they were coming out with the CR48 that that laptop in, in our engineer as a matter of fact I know the mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of the big thing about what 3 months ago everybody was talking about right. that our head engineer here at Mac Specialist got yeah, one from those, Google yeah one of those seed units yeah. it's yeah. kind of neat too it was it was an interesting take mm-hmm. um, i don't i don't necessarily think it fully landed the way like the personal device the like tablets and, right. and the android os did but right it, it's it's an interesting take, and I think it needs a little refinement. But essentially, it, it goes back to like what we're saying. It's all the application. Like, really, why couldn't you access everything in your machine through a single browser? It's what Finder is. It's a, yeah. a browser through your phone. Well, so Explorer is on Windows, essentially. Right. It's yeah. it's all the same concept. Mm-hmm. Only they were using Chrome as the browser. Right. So, but um, yeah, I mean. If, like I said, one of the implications of this is if you've got a new uh, new phone coming out, a new company coming out with new technology related to phones or tablets, and they want to be the first one out of the gate with this brand new technology never seen before. And they all do. Right. And then they've got to run it by somebody who could potentially come out with their own piece of hardware and their idea and get it approved on this open source. That'd scare the crap out of me if I was a headset maker. Right. Especially when you've invested potentially billions of dollars Mm -hmm. into repositioning your entire company around this OS, which is open, or was sold to you as being open. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, because you're relying on that OS... And you've got some very innovative things that you want to do with it. Now Google has to give you permission to do so for access to the new version. Right. I would think that a lot of companies would have a problem with that. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure they do. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, it's got... Is it a besides, bad thing, though? Well, no. I, it, I'm, I'm 
Yeah, I, from I'm a not user experience, from the but, user experience, I think it's probably a good thing. You want Google to have some control, right? Don't you? It's the reason the phone and the the iPhone and the iPad have been so great. Right. It's because Apple they have control they over vet what everything. lands yep. on their devices. It's their hardware runs their software, and if you write software for their hardware, it has to be approved. It might as well be their software, right. as far as uh, guidelines. But the true, but, but that isn't the case with computers. If you buy a Macintosh computer that runs Apple's OS, but we're talking about the ultra mobile uh, devices. But why is there a distinction? Uh, because they're new. You think they so? Can. Yeah, they they started that way. You know, Apple started iOS and ultra mobile devices. It's it's a lot easier to come up with an idea under this restriction level, right. the guideline level, however you want to, you know, package it to the public. But when you've got something like a desktop or a laptop that you have been buying these sort of things and that OS for that long and all of a sudden you lock it down, it's the same thing Google's getting from everybody. It was open and now they're trying yeah, to, to close it down. Close it down. Yeah. I don't think it would work with the computer, obviously, if they tried to close it down. But oh, then God. again, Chrome, because it's just a web browsing computer essentially is completely locked down. If it's not online, you can't install anything. You can if you hack it, I know. But Chrome is simply a web browser, and that's what's running the computer. Technically, it's not. It's running a traditional OS. Right. But as far as the user is concerned, it's just a web browser computer. That's all it is. So it's completely locked down. Yeah, it's leveraging the future of web apps versus locally installed applications. Yeah, and kind of custom written for the OS and for the processor and how much RAM it's going to be in. Mm -hmm. That's really, I think, where Apple was brilliant with the iOS, that developers didn't have to worry about, okay, you have to have a Power Mac to run this. And you, you have to have at least this graphic card, otherwise you can't play this game on your laptop, sorry. Mm-hmm. Or the iMac just simply doesn't have enough RAM, and you can't install enough RAM in that machine to run this game. Um, that was more true back in the day than it is now. Mm-hmm. But with the iOS, it's just going to work. Mm-hmm. But although they have left some, I, there's a lot of things that I can't run on my first generation iPhone that I can run on my iPhone 4. That's true, and as time goes on, you're going to see that. You're going to see that, but basically... It's like you're saying now, it's we don't have that problem now, we don't have it's that. been how many years since Four the years. Intel switchover? Oh, the Intel, I'm... Well, let's see, the first Intel iMac was, what, 2004? Five? No, seven. 2000 snow. Yeah. I think it was 2007. Right. It's been three or four years yeah. now. But it was at, at the time it was really big. It was difficult for somebody running a service department oh, right. like us. And oh, I want the new one. Okay, but then we had to learn through trial by fire of what works, what, what doesn't, what, what does and doesn't land yeah, on the terrible. other side of the Intel equation. But now it's been enough time that if you get a power PC in, it's almost like it's yeah. just less prevalent now. Right. And every everybody that wrote the extensions, the plugins, right. the software, all they Intel all now. they all switched over yep. and. Because Apple, you know, when they made the switch, it was difficult, but they carried over support. They had Rosetta. They had Universal for applications, and they they did. I think they did a good job, frankly, oh, with too. the transfer. Um, and now, it, like I said, it's just less prevalent. It's we still see a, an occasional customer that comes in with a right. G4 that's running some software that he has got or she has mm-hmm. got to continue to run. And this is their only option. And you almost feel bad for them. You're like, oh, man, it kind of sucks. You got left behind. But by the same token, we can't live in power PC dates forever. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't have the iPhone 1 forever. We have to evolve the technology. That, that means some that, things get left behind. Yeah, and that's a really unique person, too. I find that they're in very specific industries yeah. and groups of users. And almost a mentality. Well, yeah, I, I guess you could say it. Like, like as an example of a type of user is people running, you know, print shops and mm-hmm. they invested huge dollars in printers, like these enormous printers that would, you know, make their life easier. And it ran on, you know, the only thing that runs it is that ten three machine, right? You know, running PowerPC and right. they've got running to keep that, rep, that going that, for so long. That's right. And before, you know, it's money. Yeah, and that machine being down that. Nine-year-old mm-hmm. G4 being down is costing them money. They don't care if it costs 
$800 to fix it, right. even though the machine itself is technically worth $10. Because their whole business is based off that thing that plugs into it. That's right. right. Yep. So I see a lot of unhappy companies dealing with Google now. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, I think Google almost needed to take some control over the Android. It mm-hmm. almost seemed to be getting a little bit out of hand. Um, you were seeing it on... And, you're seeing a lot of different versions mm-hmm. coming out on a brand new phone, but it was a two, you know, two versions ago. Android software was on it, so the user right. experience was totally different. So, how do you sell applications, apps, if you will, into the Android environment? Because you can't guarantee what version they're running, what hardware is. I mean, what the size of the screen is. Right. I mean, there's it. It's it's the wild west of Windows, but. All the bad things about Windows, none of the good stuff about Windows. Yeah, it's not like they're trying to corral app developers into writing Android apps to fit on their next version of Android. They're trying to get the device makers and the OS developers to take all of their myriad number of different devices with different specs. The the standardization isn't there. And it needs to be. They went for footprint and they got it. And they got everything that and, comes with it, Yeah, too. and they found out that footprint's not everything. Right. Uh, especially in the mindset of the users. They did a comparison how many apps are being sold on Android, which there's more Android phones now than iPhones, mm-hmm. but not iOS. They don't count the iPod Touch, and they don't count the iPad in that figure. And if you did, iOS would be massively bigger than Android. Right. Not even It's not even close. It's an order of magnitude. But if you just look at the the telephones themselves, there's more Android than iPhone. But yet, Android doesn't sell one-tenth of the number of apps that the iPhone does. Usability. Usability. Um, and the, what the, the relationship they have with the app developers. Apps. It's, and, it hasn't changed. Nope. And how you get, how you A, how you pay for the apps, and B, how they get on your phone. There's only two ways. You either download it from the app store on the phone mm-hmm. or the app store on your computer. Right. How do you pay for it? It's just your iTunes account. Apple was just brilliant when it came to this. Yeah, I mean, it's a. you can think of this whole thing as a big complicated game, and only a company like an Apple or Google could figure it out. But No, Google can't. There's one other company, I think, out there. I'll let you finish your thought, but there's one other company I'll bring to your attention. It, it, it all breaks down to core components. This is big uh, working with Tim. If anybody ever meets Tim on the street, ask how Kevin finishes projects, and it's always these little chart diagrams. <laughs> yes. Um, it, it all breaks down to a couple of things. It's it's the standardization of the hardware, yep. the guidelines for developing the apps, mm-hmm. because the OS is developed by Apple, the OS is developed mm-hmm. by Google, and then, you know, altered by others. Yep, um, including then, the, the way it looks, the way everything. Mm-hmm, everything, and then the standardization of distribution, of not only the hardware but also the software that goes on it. It's and you haven't even talked about so. payment. You haven't even talked about well, the cell phone carriers. Right. I mean, well, yeah, that's. I mean, it's a very complicated pie, and Apple's the only one that seems to have done it correctly. Mm-hmm. There's one other company that I think is going to have a really good shot of being the true iPhone competitor, and that's going to be HP. They bought Palm. Mm-hmm. They own the WebOS. The WebOS is a great OS. Um, so they're going to be able to control the hardware, the software. Mm-hmm. I think they would be, instead of coming up with their own app store, I think, and I'm going to give this away for free, so you know, HP, if you make a lot of money, you heard it here first. I think they would be very smart to partner up with Amazon and let Amazon run all apps, mm. all music, and Amazon comes up with the software to sync all that content to the device when you plug it into a laptop or a desktop. Right. Why should HP try to reinvent the wheel? They, there's a willing partner with them in Amazon. Right. You, you get ebooks. They've already talked about their, they want an app store. They've already got music. Mm-hmm. What else is there? I mean, a web browser, HP's going to do that. Right. So I would partner up with Amazon, let Amazon handle all that, including the transactions. Mm-hmm. HP simply focuses on the relationship with the carriers, the hardware, and the software. That's it. Hmm. Not a bad idea. Let's yeah, see if uh, you got a voicemail at the end, yeah, of, at the end of the day. Hi, this is uh, so-and-so. This is Brad Green from HP. We'd like to talk to you about an open position we have in our uh, strategic planning department. No. Say sorry. 
Um, <laughs> no, that's not a bad idea. It's like you said, why reinvent the wheel? Right. I mean, Apple, like I said, Apple came up with a good structure for it. Google is working on theirs right now. They, it, they've it's, got a it's good scattershot. OS. Yeah, they've got the developers can write for it. It's not, you know, necessarily pulling teeth. It's not a, a broken system. It's no. they're refining it. But it's, I it's think not as polished as Apple's right. is. But and now you've got somebody else jumping into the market, which competition is always a good thing. Yep. Um, why don't you know, forget the playbook too? But I, I just don't see BlackBerry as being a serious contender at this point. I right. think they've waited too long. I think uh, I hope I'm wrong though, because the better the alternatives out there are, the better the well. That's not always necessarily true, but. If you look back at historically at Windows, and you can't really compare what happened between the Mac OS and Windows back in the day com- and try to make any kind of comparisons between the iOS and Android and mm-hmm. WebOS, it really does. There's no. It, the markets are just totally different. The users are totally different. You really can't make the comparison, except anecdotally. And in this case, Windows was terrible, the Mac was great. Windows got a little bit better. And then Apple's Mac OS got better, and then the Windows got a little bit better than it was because the Mac was so much better, and then the Mac got better, and then Windows went to catch up. So even though I don't still I still don't think Windows is close to the Mac when it comes to usability and security and just everything. Even the cursor's terrible next to it. <laughs> it's just uh but anyways. Apple's innovations drove Microsoft to innovate mm-hmm. in their own way as well. And there was times that you would see something like that came out in Windows 95 that Mac users were like, oh, that's actually kind of cool. And then you see a very similar feature in the very next version of the Mac OS. We need that in the ultra-portable market. Mm -hmm. We need a tablet that is as good, if not better, than the iPad. So Apple will see that and go, wow, Motorola is really starting to, we got to make it even better. And then Motorola comes back and says, wow, look what Apple did. We're going to make it thinner. We're going to make it less expensive. And the reason I want to see that happen is for my own good <laughs> as a consumer. No, I'm serious. That's the reason they make them. That's, that's the reason they make it for me, the consumer. And if you have that kind of competition, that kind of competition is going to drive innovation, mm-hmm. hopefully. Not always. Um, in the old cell phone industry, it was a race to the bottom. You know, that was the benchmark. You can get our phone for, you know, 50 bucks. No, you can get our phone for 99 cents. Well, our phone is free with a three-year contract. Mm -hmm. Uh, That market's completely gone at this point. What's going on right now needs to continue. They need to continue to innovate. The prices need to come down more. We need Mm -hmm. better apps on the devices from a consumer level. That would be a good podcast to do if there's a follow-up for here. <laughs> what is it that makes a good app? You know, that's a good question because what's your benchmarks? I mean, I don't know. what's the difference between, say, an Evernote? What's better, Evernote or Dropbox? Well, right. they do totally different things, and they're mm-hmm. both great. Well, but what makes them great? Is it the services that they provide? Is it the user interface? You're right. That would be a really good. It's it's like a it's, Apple even has in their own documentation that the average user only interfaces with the, the device for something like ten seconds. Right. You know. So how do you make a functional app and capture an audience and make it say, "Oh, that was a wonderful experience"? When you've got ten seconds to do it. More so that it's going to be such a wonderful experience that word of mouth is going to spur more sales. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I'm not in that market. That was talking about pressure. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. Appreciate you guys downloading and make sure you check out all the other shows up at mymac.com. I know I mentioned this before, but uh, it's worth repeating. By the way, I did change the site a little bit. If you go up to mymac.com, we have a staff page. We actually have bios and pictures of our staff members now. We did with the old site, but when we made the switch over to the new server and WordPress, we lost that page, and it was just recently that I re-implemented that functionality. But the MyMac Podcasting Network now is five shows. Obviously, TechFan is one of them. We have the MyMac.com podcast with Guy and Gaz. We have Sam Levin and App Minute. Now, I, I actually do a couple App Minute shows, too. Elisa Paselli did a couple uh, Michael Manna, 
Uh, he's done a couple of app minutes, uh, pocket size podcast, and of course, geekiest show ever. So make sure you check them all out. If you go to mymac.com, right in the middle is a tab that's called podcast. Click that, you'll see a link to all the shows. At the very bottom of that page is called My Mac Potpourri. If you subscribe to that podcast, you actually get all of our shows in one feed. It's pretty cool. So, Kevin, thanks for joining us this week, man. Well, thanks for having me. I'm yeah. uh, really, uh, really getting into You're, this. You are. We, we keep talking about, uh, we should mention this right before we wrap up here. We talked about a lot on the last tech fan that you and I were together, which was uh, number 19, mm-hmm. about Mac Specialist starting a podcast. We are still planning on doing that. We've kind of narrowed it down on what the show is going to be. We just kind of have to start doing it soon. Right. We have to pick a topic because we've got, what, two or three? Two or three. Around right now. Right. So. And there's actually uh, a couple of other ideas that's floated to the surface mm-hmm. that we need to kind of look at. But it probably won't be a weekly show like this. It would right. probably be maybe once a month, maybe a little bit more often. But at the, at the least, it'll be once a month. Right. Probably every two weeks. Um. I know you're kind of chomping at the bit to get into podcasting now. I am. You do, you what well, you texted me last night and said, "Hey, if you can swing by, you're going to podcast. I'm going to record a podcast. <laughs> can I call in? Can I can I chat in? What? How can I be a part of this?" So and then, and then you were like, "I can do it tomorrow." I was like, oh, "Okay, I'll wait till tomorrow." Yeah, thanks um, for holding off. Oh, you know, I think you've got a good personality for podcasting. Not everyone does, and I always encourage people if you think you're going to like podcasting, you're going to. It's just. <laughs> It's one of these things that once you start doing it, you think, I want, I want to do it again. It's and like I want to do tattoo. it again. You just, that's probably why I haven't got one yet. <laughs> and that's why I let the, the hole in my ear, left ear here close, because I didn't want to keep piercing myself. <laughs> well, I'm going to make jokes about that tomorrow. Yeah, well, that was a potato in the uh, eighth grade. <laughs> so with that, we're going to, by the way, again, once again, David, sorry about not editing the last show. So see you guys uh, in one week. I'll be back with David Cohen a week from today.